his life insurance policy. And I was like, I want my life to be insured for $5 million. They're like, that's going to be like $300 a month. I was like, okay, less than that. I feel like I'm worth at least $5 million, but we can do less than that. They said, okay, we settled on an amount, but they said, look, determine, to determine how much you're going to pay per month, we're going to have to give you a physical to see what kind of shape you are in before we decide on what you're going to have to pay. So I was like, okay. So they came and they met me at the church one day. And there was this real nice lady who came with a bunch of needles. And it freaked me out really bad because I don't handle needles very good. They're like, do you want the flu or the flu shot? I was like, I'll risk the flu because I don't know if I'm going to get that. But I know I'm probably going to pass out with that needle. Um, so this lady, like, we're doing a physical here at the, at the church, and I'm like, I'm about to dominate this physical. How many push-ups you want me to do? I'm thinking that's what's about to happen. That is not what is happening. She's, like, taking blood out of me. She's making me get on, like, the scale she brought out of the back of her car, which was sketchy, but whatever. Um, so they're doing all this stuff, and um, I thought that I was in fairly decent shape. But she started talking about all this stuff that was wrong with me. And I was like, okay. Maybe I need to take more multivitamins, or maybe the ones I have is not good. But then she dropped the bomb on me. She said, you're going to have to pay a lot per month for your insurance because um, they're, they're, you are suffering from this thing that is called obesity. And I was like, see, they laughed, and that was heart hurtful. <laughs> I was like, I've been working out for like eight years. What do you mean? So I decided that I was no longer going to be in the plight of obesity anymore. So I ran for two days, and then I decided I was not doing that anymore. But I feel like, I feel like there's two contributing factors to my problem. One is a place called Garcia's. I can't stop. Did you know that they will double stuff a chocolate-filled donut for you? They will. Will they do that for everybody? Maybe they won't do that. Go ask. But, I mean, you like bite, and it's like a little bit of bread, just a whole lot of chocolate. Oh, it's great. Don't eat it in public, though, because this is going to get bad. I actually ate it in our new room out there, and when it was over, I was laid on the floor just smiling, making a snow angel. There's no snow. It's inside. I was out of my mind. I think it was a donut glaze, though. And then the other one is a great love but a hate of mine, and some of you may know it because I'm a, I'm a big advocate for them over Chick-fil-A, and that would be Popeye's. I go and get a five-piece spicy on the regular. And the ladies like me so much, they usually put about three extra pieces in there. So I have eight pieces pretty much every time I go. When we did the picnic at Mitchell Farm Sunday, you know where I stopped. Uh, not McDonald's. I stopped at Popeye's. But I was curious of what the sandwich tastes like, so I got my tenders and I got the sandwich, just so I can know what the sandwich tastes like. And I ate my tenders, too. That's a big part of my problem, and because I refused to run. But they're like, we're concerned about your heart, so you're going to have to pay more money. I was like, why, why don't we just do push-ups? Anyway, but your heart is very important. That's why the doctor, that's why the insurance people are like, you need to have a good heart. Um, but I've been working on it for real. But your heart is very important. Your old thumpy thump, you need that bad girl to work. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about issues of the heart. Some of you are like, oh, crap, he's talking about dating again. That's not what I'm talking about. I swore that off for like six months. We're not going to mention dating one time after this sentence. But we are going to talk about a problem that our heart has. I'm not talking about like uh, heart. And I want to read a couple verses out of my heartbeat or to just run away. 
But there's an issue of the heart. And I want to read a couple of verses out of Matthew, and then we'll dive into it. Here we go. Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Just 10 quick verses. After we read it, we're going to pray. I'll give you a breakdown of what has been happening, and then we'll go from there. It says, And he called the people to him and said to them, This is Jesus. Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? And he answered. This is a strange answer, but it's Jesus, so it makes sense. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That is the most shade you could throw at somebody at that moment. Uh, But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Because Peter was like, I'm not exactly sure what you said, sir. Because they didn't throw shade at that time. I need you to explain it to me. And he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? I'll explain exactly what that means in a minute if you're not sure. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. If you're an underliner, circler, or highlighter, you want to do proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with one unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the power of it, God, how you are still calling people to life, God, from death to life to salvation through the power of your word, God. And we're asking that's what you will do in this place tonight, God. Continue to redeem, God, convict of sin. God, bring salvation and redemption in the way that only you can. God, I pray that you will allow us to see where our heart stands before you tonight. God, do something awesome in this place that can only be explained by you. God, thank you for all you've done in here, but God, we look forward for what you're going to continue to do. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are ready to believe. God, please continue to save in Jesus' name. God, amen. All right. I'm going to read, we'll break down a little bit, and we're going to get to the heart of the, I mean, we're going to get to the heart of the issue is that it is the heart tonight, so I shouldn't have said that. Okay, so Jesus... So the Pharisees have just been turds lately, okay? They've kind of been that way for a while, if you've been keeping up. But Jesus' disciples, they got hungry. Anybody ever been hungry before? Has anybody... You usually wash your hands before you eat, right? Please say you do. Anyway, um, there wasn't as many sinks with soft soap readily available at this time. So the disciples got hungry, and they just started eating without washing their hands. Which may be gross, but it is not sinful. We can all agree on that, right? Some things are gross, but that doesn't make them sinful. Like some of you in here don't wash your hair for 7 to 10 days at a time. I may be in that category. It may be gross, but it doesn't mean it's sinful. I mean, how do you think it just stands up like this? But anyway, but anyway, stench is not sinful. It's just inconvenient for everybody else. But anyway... 
So the Pharisees are just, they're, they're just losing their minds. Jesus, your disciples, they don't wash their hands, they're eating. This is defiling them. This is just sinful. And Jesus is like, you are stupid. But he doesn't say that. He just tells this really cool story. And then he draws the people in so he can explain to them, the Pharisees are being just, they are just losing their minds. Don't listen to them, they're stupid. He actually calls them blind. It says, and he called the people to him, because he's about to explain. Hear and understand, it does... It does, oh man, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles this person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were mad and offended when you said this? Because like I said, Jesus is throwing shade at them. And then he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind gods. And if the blind lead the blind, then both will fall into the pit. This is what's happening right there. And you guys need to pay attention to this. Jesus is saying, these guys don't know what they're talking about. They may have a lot of head knowledge. They may have a lot of scripture memorized. But there has been no internal change in their life. These people are all external. They're super religious. But they have no love and they have no passion for living their lives out in a way that honors God. They just like to show up to Sunday school so everybody will see that they're there. Maybe you guys know some of those people. They'll throw Bible verses at you and Jesus at you, but it's never in a loving way. And they really don't seem like they love Jesus that much, but they're just doing it just to check it off. Like, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing here. They're trying to make, belittle everybody else so they can feel better about themselves. But then Jesus says, do not listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about. He says, any plant that my father did not plant will be rooted up. He's saying, these people are not of me. These people are not of my father. And eventually, they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be rooted up. These people are blind. So if the blind are leading the blind, they're both going to fall into a pit. This is what you need to pay attention to. They're these really cool guys that usually make it onto the internet. And they're like superstar pastors. They have really cool videos. And they have really cool words that rhyme. And they say really awesome things and wear really cool clothes. But sometimes those are the blind leading the blind. And you need to be careful to not listen to everything that they say. Because I know some of the people that you listen to. And everything they say may not be wrong. But if you are not rooted in Scripture yourself, you will start to believe lies that they tell you. And they're not doing it all the time. Check me with Scripture. Know any better because they're blind themselves. Like even with me, you need to fact check me with Scripture. If anybody shows up at your campus and speaks at anything, don't just take them at face value. You need to take that back to the Word and say, I don't see that. That seems to be contradictory to what God is saying. Sir, I think that you were wrong. And then be ready to give an account through the text. You need to be careful not to follow someone who is blind to the ways of God or them and you are going to follow and fall into a pit. That's what Jesus is saying there. That's not what we're talking about tonight, but you need to know those things. And then it starts to get real spicy. Because Peter, he asked this. He says... Can you explain the parable to us? And Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Jesus isn't hating. He's just like, come on, dude. You, we just fed 25,000 people. I just walked on the water and so did you. And you're having a hard time with this? Um, and then he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes out of the stomach and is expelled? Let me explain something to you. You eat food, right? We all eat food. Sometimes it can be a couple hours. Sometimes a couple minutes. 
I've got a friend who only goes every couple days. Not going to mention his name. You have to take a boo-boo, right? <laughs> I was told to never speak about boo-boo in a message again. But guess what? Jesus just talked about it. I need to break down what's happening. Jesus is saying, when you eat food, the time is going to come when this food is going to leave you. And he's not talking about throw-ups dropping a deuce. He's saying, so the Pharisees are saying this is going to defile you. No, it's going to go through your body and then is going to drop off somewhere else. I don't know if you need me to break this down anymore for you. You usually use toilet paper. In some countries, you don't use toilet paper. You use your hand and then you wash your hand off. Isn't that what you did, Ty? I'm just kidding. Ty didn't do that. Now all of you are like, man, I shook his hand before. And Brittany's like, man, he's touched my face. <laughs> I got a cool toilet paper story to tell you later, but not right now. Because now we got to get into the actual message. <coughs> and then it goes on, Jesus says this. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles the person. See, the issue of the heart is what comes from your heart will defile you. Not one person has a good heart. There's this saying, that person has such a good heart. That is a lie. Your heart is a terrible thing. You know that saying, you should just follow your heart. Ah! Your heart is a lie. By the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, there is nothing good about your or my heart. Because our hearts love sin. Our hearts excel at sin. The way that we love to drink water when we're extremely thirsty, our hearts want sin just as much as we want water. See, the thing that comes from our heart is sin. Our hearts are sin factories, and they just produce sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. And you guys know that, right? You live with your heart. You know the things that it makes you want to do. And see, your heart tells you all these lies. You know it leads you to, it produces sin because your heart is that thing in you that says, just go ahead and lie. Just go ahead and cheat. Just go ahead and steal. Go ahead and live it up. You're young. You're only going to be young one time. Go ahead and live your life in a way that doesn't honor God because it doesn't really matter anyway. Your heart is a factory for sin outside of the indwelling of Jesus in it. Like it just pumps poison in this disease to every bit of our body. Like you know how a heart goes and just shoots blood everywhere? Like not the actual blood, but it is pushing poison all through our body. Evil, vile things. Your heart can't be trusted. The only thing that can be trusted is God. The only thing. And see, the danger of sin, the danger of our heart being a factory for sin is this, because in Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. If we believe God's word to be true, if we believe God's word to have no error whatsoever, if we believe that Jesus came, bled, and died on the cross, then we must we have to believe that sin is as, as serious as God's word says it is. So this sin in your life that you just let your heart take you into and you think everything's going to be okay, everything is not going to be okay unless Jesus steps in and takes your place in salvation. Don't trust your heart. 
Um, there's this guy who said this. He says, the filth of the toilet is not so great as that of the human heart. And I'm not talking about, he's not talking about the fresh new toilets, the new building. He's talking about the one, I think it's in Hall 2 at Northeast Jones. Do you guys know that one? The one down from the lunch meat room? I just won't go to the bathroom if I've got to pee when I'm over there. Because I walked in one time and I was peeing and it just threw up everywhere because it smelled so bad. That's the kind of bathroom he's talking about. Or the one at the gas station. Have you ever been in the gas station bathrooms that smell so bad? And their, their floor is always slippery. <laughs> the guys, you know what I'm talking about. You're standing there trying to pee and like your feet are just sliding. <laughs> and you're trying not to fall in the urinal. That's the kind of bathroom he's talking about. He's saying that bathroom is not near as filthy as the human heart. See what, I, I was talking to a dear, 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 dear person the other day. And they were asking, why are people not as passionate about Jesus as they should be? And it is probably because we do not understand how great of a sinner that we really are. And what kind of victory Jesus had for us on the cross. Your sin is filthy. It is defiling you. It is the complete opposite of holy and is preventing you from being in the presence of God outside of the work of Jesus on the cross. Because to finish up that quote, the one that says, the filth of the toilet is not so great as that of the life of a human heart, it goes on to say, that is not yet cleansed. The only thing that can cleanse a human heart is Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that in a minute. So my question for you tonight is, how is your heart? I'm not asking how's your day going. I'm not asking how you're feeling, how the season's going. I'm not asking anything other than how is your heart? Because it is one of the better questions that we can ask someone if we genuinely mean it. How is your heart? And what is it producing? Because the heart of a believer and the heart of an unbeliever are producing two completely different things. They respond to situations two completely different ways. Like in the story where it says they're, washing their, they're not washing their hands before they eat. Like you can tell when your hands are dirty, right? You can look at them and they're just dirty. Got the dirt on them. I hate for my hands to be sticky. They can be dirty, just not sticky. I think some people do. You ever met a child? They love it. Yes. Like you can tell when your hands are dirty. You can tell when your vehicle's dirty. You can tell when your vehicle's dirty on the inside because nobody's ever seen the floorboards. Some of you are telling me to shush because you're taking it personal. <laughs> Cleaning party. Like you can, some of us can tell when our hair gets dirty. Mine just gets unruly. It just gets taller and taller and taller and until it's time to wash it to knock it back down. Some of you haven't washed your hair in about 10, 11 days. I smelled you when you walked by. Tell when you know dirty hair's got that just familiar smell about it. But you know, you can also tell when your heart is dirty. I don't mean like you can get like an x-ray machine and look at it. But you can tell when your heart is dirty, when your heart is defiled by the words that you say and the things that you do and how you respond to certain situations. And we're going to talk about three things tonight. 
three things and how a believer and an unbeliever's heart responds to them. And when we are going over these things, I want you to start making a checklist. I want you to, if you've got notes, I want you to draw a line down the middle of it. And then a line perpendicular at the top. Is this perpendicular? Perpendicular. Right? Believer on one side at the top of the line and unbeliever on the other. And as we start walking through these characteristics, if you have the one of a believer, I want you to put a mark there. But if you lean more towards the side of the unbeliever, I want you to start putting marks over there as well. And by the end of the night, maybe something fascinating will happen. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will. I've been praying that it will. We're going to look at three things. How our hearts respond to sin, to people, and to God. And I believe it's going to reveal some things to us that we need to see. The first is how is your question, how is your heart towards sin? How is your heart towards sin? That's a question I'm allowing you to evaluate. All of it. Not just the ones that you dislike or the ones that you don't struggle with. I'm talking about all of it. Because sometimes what happens is we can have a really negative attitude to somebody else's struggle. To somebody else's sin while we justify our own. When we're called to hate sin, all of it, even the ones that we just love. This is, this is how a believer's heart responds to sin. Psalm 51, 17 says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is what's just happened in this. this is, David has written this. King David, you know, slingshot. Hit Goliath around the head. They say David looked a lot like me. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. And then, yes, he was short. I got a whole story there, but I'm not going into it. Say that. And then he went and got Goliath's sword, chopped his head off with it. And then he walked around with the giant's head. It's like, I killed this thing. That's him holding by his hair. But then he goes on to be, be, be the king, and it said the text says that he was a man after God's own heart. See, the thing about this is, even though David was a man after God's own heart, he was also a man, and his heart would produce sin. And there was this name, named Bathsheba, who was taking a bath on a rooftop, and David happened to be on his rooftop. What was he doing up there? I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time on my roof. And he notices her taking a shower instead of going, oh my gosh, and running back inside. He's like, it just watches. And then he watches again, and then eventually, somehow, he ends up on her rooftop. Or either she ended up on his rooftop, I'm not really sure. Somehow they end up together. The only problem was, this is not his wife, it's actually his friend's wife. Yeah. Actually, it was one of his best friends. It was one of his best warrior's wife. She becomes um, with child. Not going to explain to you how that happened. I explained pooping. I'm not going to explain this. Um, if you have questions, ask the uh, street team leaders when you get in the breakout room. So what he does 
is he calls his friend home from battle who's fighting so he doesn't have to and tries to get him to go home and do the same thing that he did with his wife so he could say that the baby was his. But his friend was so faithful, he would not leave his side to even go see his own wife. He said, I'm staying here. You are my friend. You are the king. You can give me as much alcohol as you want. I'm not leaving your side. So then David did the only logical thing. He didn't apologize. He didn't admit he was wrong. He put his friend on the front lines of an impossible battle so that he would be killed. Basically, he committed murder. So what started out as something you may just see as innocent of he was looking at a lady taking a shower, which we would call that looking, watching porn. It, became, it escalated into something more, escalated into something more, until now he's a murderer and an adulterer. So you think sin is just a little thing, but your heart is producing all kinds of evil. But this is what happens this, this chapter 51, verse 17, it's when, when David no longer is blind and numb to his sin. It's when he's been called out on it, and he finally sees who he is for the first time. And he's praying out to God this awesome prayer of repentance. And he says, God, what you want from me because of my sin is not for me to sing a song. You don't want any kind of burnt offering. What you want is for my heart to be broken and contrite. That just means your heart leave tore up about your sin. So uh, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever's heart, if you're going to put check marks, is the unbeliever celebrates sin and the believer hates it. All of it. Not, not just hate it when you get caught, but hates it. Despises it. Because you know that God loves you so much that he sent his son to take your place. And when you sin, you are breaking his heart. Because oftentimes, we've talked about this before, we try to contain sin instead of killing it. Where the strongest language in the Bible is always given to sin. It says you have to put it to death. You must hate it. God, God is always talking about us to love one another, to love him, to love his ways. But when it comes to sin, he says you must hate it and you must put it to death. But we try to tame it and contain it so that we can still use it when we want to use it. Um, if you go to LCS, you heard me tell the story the other day when I was there. I was listening to this story about this Russian bear. Not like my daughter, and like an actual bear. This dude found this bear when it was little, trained it. It could do tricks. It could pick up a wheelbarrow, walk that thing around. And when it walked around, you go this, and he give you a high five and keep walking with that wheelbarrow. One day, old bear, guess he got tired of rolling the wheelbarrow. And he just ate old dude right there on the spot. <laughs> he went to give him five. He's like, no, dog. Bow, knocks his head off. This dude had raised this bear from when it was just something small and innocent. And he thought he had it contained. He thought he had it tamed. But when that bear wanted to kill him, that bear killed him. And some of us, we're fooling around with sin. And instead of hating it, instead of putting it to death, we're trying to contain it. And eventually, it is going to kill you. And that is what your heart is leading you to. See, a believer hates sin, doesn't want anything to do it. And when a, listen, no believer is perfect, so when they do sin, they are broken. And not when they get caught. Even if no one ever finds out the sin that they committed, they hate it because they know they broke the heart of a holy God who took their place. Because listen, if you were a believer, anytime you were openly living in sin, it's basically like you turn around giving two middle fingers to the cross to Jesus on it. And your heart hurts over that. Because why would you not be ashamed of that? 
but an unbeliever celebrates it. Just think about it. Your culture tells you that you got to be having sex all the time. Sin is celebrated by the unbeliever. And when you buy into that lie, when you start living that kind of life, that's a life of an unbeliever, not a believer. Your culture tells you that you've got to party and you've got to live it up. Never does it say that in the text about a believer. So when you buy into that lie and that's the life you're constantly living, that's the life of an unbeliever, not of a believer. What lies are you buying into? What are you allowing your heart to take you into that doesn't line up with what a believer does? So the first thing we've got to ask is, how is your heart towards sin? Number two, how is your heart towards people? Because see, this one's huge. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1.22. It says this. Can you throw that up, please? 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You can leave it up there. Listen. How your heart responds towards people is another bit. Like, you can tell an unbeliever versus a believer by how their hearts uh are towards sin, but you can by how their hearts are towards people. Because look, it does not take Jesus to tolerate people, but it does take Jesus to love people. How do you treat other people? Because an unbeliever is someone who's always stabbing somebody in the back. An unbeliever is somebody who is always starting drama. An unbeliever who is somebody who always hates the success of somebody else. But a believer's heart is someone who always lifts up somebody else. Somebody who's praying for somebody else. Someone who is discipling somebody else. Someone who wants the best for somebody else. Someone who is taking time out of their life to help somebody else become who it is God made them to be. How do you treat other people? How is your heart towards other people? Are you somebody who always speaks negative? Are you someone who's trying to speak life into other people? How are you towards people? Can you love somebody from a pure heart? Because only a pure heart can love somebody. Unselfishly. And some of us, we only, we don't really love people, but we pretend they do, but it's based on what can they give me. Like some of your friendship, that's a business, isn't because you love somebody else, but it's so what they can give you in return. That is not friendship, that's a business arrangement. Like, you need to stop having these fake relationships built on what can you give me in return. Is me being friends with you going to benefit my popularity? Are your parents rich so I'm going to get to partake in some of that money? Like, why do you have the friends that you have? Is it so you can get something out of them? Or is it so that you can give them something and that something may be Jesus? So the first thing... We can tell the difference in the heart of a believer and an unbeliever by how their hearts are towards sin. The second thing is how your heart is towards people. And the third thing is how is your heart towards God? How is your heart towards God? Is he a burden or is he a blessing? Is he the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Or is he just a casual relationship that you enter into on the weekends and maybe on Wednesday? How is your heart towards God? In Ezekiel 36, it says this, two verses, 26 and 27. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, and I will give to you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. See, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. These statutes are God's ways. So he's saying what, what God is saying to the nation of Israel. I'm going to put a new heart in you because the one that you currently have, it will not love me. It will not keep my commandments. But this new heart that I'm going to put in you by the power of the Holy Spirit will love me and it will love my ways. An unbeliever despises the ways of God because they say God is telling me he doesn't want me to do this. 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 But a believing heart looks at God and says, whatever you want, I'll do it because I love you. I hate washing dishes, but I wash them sometimes because I love mine. Love causes you to change and do things that you would never do before. An unbeliever never has a desire to keep God's commandments. But a believer loves God so much, even if you don't exactly like what he's asking you to do, you're going to do it simply because you love him, because you know he loves you so much he sent Jesus to take your place. John 14, 15 says, Jesus is speaking, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is pointing back to this verse in Ezekiel. Because if we love God, it's because he has placed a new heart in us. And if we keep his commandments, it's because he's placed a new heart within us and we are living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how cannot fake and you cannot, do you love him? And remember, you've heard me say this before, love is something you cannot fake and you cannot hide. It is evident. Are you passionately pursuing God in his ways? Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you trying to become more like him? Are you reading the word because you're like, God, I just want to know you more? Are you finding out more of what God wants you to do with your life, not so you can say that you're awesome, but because you love God and you just want to bring him honor with your life? So the first thing is, how is your heart towards sin? Then how is your heart towards people? Then how is your heart towards God? Like if you're going down your checklist, where do you got most of your marks when it comes to these things? What kind of heart are you operating with towards sin, towards people, and towards God? And how does somebody stop having such a sinful heart? And we see that in the first part of Ephesians 3, chapter 17, where we find our greatest need, our greatest need is for a heart change. That is our greatest need. It's not for a bigger TV. It's not for a new building. It is not for money. It's that we have a heart change. And we see that in Ephesians 3, 17, where it says this. Can you go there, please? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith is the only way that we can respond towards sin in a way that honors God. Christ dwelling in our hearts is the only way that we can respond towards people in a loving way that brings honor to God. Christ dwelling within our hearts is the only way that we're going to genuinely love God and want to know more about Him and keep His ways. They're very joyful right now. I'm just going to tell you, they're loud right now. We will be loud on them next week. And how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus dwell in our hearts 
It's 2 Corinthians 5.21 all over again for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. It is Jesus taking our place on the cross, taking all our filth on him so that he could place his purity, his righteousness, his holiness on us. The heart of the problem is that our hearts is the problem. And without Jesus interceding and dwelling in our hearts, without Jesus saving us, our heart is always going to produce sin. Until Jesus is dwelling in our hearts and by the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts will never do anything good. Even if it looks like it's good, it is for selfish reasons. So what kind of heart? The heart of an unbeliever. Do you have the heart of a believer? Or do you have the heart of an unbeliever? Salvation has all kinds of evidences to it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. A Christian is always going to mess up. But there's a difference between a mess up and a lifestyle. Just because you come to church and you proclaim to love Jesus, but you live as if you don't, doesn't mean that you actually do. What kind of heart do you have? Only Jesus can reveal those things to you. Our hearts are factories for sin until they've been cleansed by Jesus and they're made into something completely different. Look, if you want to talk about Jesus, we will talk until the cows come home. Whenever that is. I don't know what that saying means. Or you can talk to your street team leaders. But evaluate what kind of heart do you have. God, thank you for how you love us. God, thank you for your word, the power of it. God, allow us to see what kind of heart do we have. God, are we living with the heart of an unbeliever or with the heart of a believer? God, it's completely understandable if we're leaving with the, living with the heart of an unbeliever if we, press, if we profess to be an unbeliever. But God, if we profess to, to be saved by you, if we profess to love you, but our hearts function as if they are an unbelieving heart, God, there is something terribly wrong. And God, I'm asking, asking that you'll bring conviction and God, that you'll bring correction. God, we know that you're the God who saves. We've seen you do that in this place over the past several years. God, we're believing that we'll see that more and more. But God, I pray that you will impress on these students' hearts, God, to see what kind of heart do they have. And God, if it is a believing heart, God, let them cry out to you with thanksgiving, knowing that that came by what Jesus did on the cross for us. But God, if it is the heart of an unbeliever, God, I pray that they cry out to you for salvation, knowing that you can save them by what Jesus has done on the cross. God, there's no Jesus' name. God, we love you and we trust you.